You are listening to Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum. This week's guest is creator, producer, actor of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. What a phenomenon this is. I mean, this show has just taken off. I remember this guy, Rob McElhenney, our guest today, showing me this pilot that they made and started pitching it. And I remember thinking, well, this is cheaply made. I, you know, it's funny. I, and then FX buys it and becomes the biggest show ever. Rob is a, a wonderful human being. He plays Mac. He's married to Sweet D Reynolds. She's hot and she's fucking hilarious. I met Rob like almost 20, I think 20 years ago, probably to this day. And my old agent and said, uh, yeah, yeah, there's this young guy. He's like, he wasn't that young. He was like in his twenties, but he needs a place to crash. And I go, yeah, I could crash on my couch. Everybody else does. So Rob McElhaney slept on my couch and, uh, now he's rich. He's only asked me to do one episode of sunny in Philadelphia. We talk about his childhood, his mom, leaving his dad at an early age, coming out of the closet and how that shaped him talking about how him and Caitlin sometimes sneak off and have sex in their, uh, trailer when they're on set. Interesting. And of course, I had to bring up how he gained 50 pounds of weight for a season of Always Sunny in Philadelphia. But briefly, everybody has to ask him that. Um, I'm really excited. Let's get inside of Rob McElhaney. It's my point of view. You're listening to Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum. Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum was not recorded in front of a live studio audience. And you've already made up a fluorescent sign for it. I thought it was, you know, it was my idea. I thought it'd be neat to it's have a good, it's cool. sign. You know what I mean? It's your name in lights. Look, I made the it. Hollywood I'm dream. in my own house with my own sign. I fucking made it. Want a Red Bull? You want to blow your heart out? I'm good. You sure? I don't. Uh, I don't drink coffee anymore. So, but I, but but I started drinking the, those five hour energy drinks. How are those? Horrible. But I drink two of them are, every day. Why is that? Why do you do that? Because uh, you wouldn't survive without them. I, yeah. Well, I. I. It turns out I'm horrifically addicted to caffeine, which I, I suppose I knew before, but I didn't care about because I would just drink a cup of coffee in the morning, and I stopped drinking coffee because it was starting to make me sick. So, so then instead of just stopping, I transitioned into whatever it is that is in those five-hour energy drinks. It's not as bad as a Red Bull, though, is it? I don't want to put Red Bull down. I drink it. I like it. I like the taste. It tastes like a laser. But uh, I enjoy Red Bull. Yeah. A, I, a Red I Bull enjoy. vodka? Yeah. Well. You don't it? drink, right? I drink. Heavily. Okay. I was wrong. I, I just know. have kids, so I got to get up in the morning. Robert Dale McElhaney. Untrue. Is that really not your name? No. What is it? I don't have a middle name. But according to Wikipedia, but Wikipedia, it, it's, a fair, it. it's a fair mistake. Is it? It's, uh, isn't it Wikipedia supposed to give you knowledge? Well, I think that's a lesson that you've learned, isn't it? It is. So you don't have a middle name. I don't have a Which, middle name, but somebody, I, I've had actually had that taken down a, f- a few times. Dale. Dale. And uh, you mind somebody, if I call somebody, you Dale for the rest of the conversation? Up, which at this point I just think is funny, so I leave it up there. We're with Robert McElhaney. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> right? My mom calls me Robert. Really? Yeah. Well, it just, yeah, Robert sounds like, you know, this is who you are. Who's, this is who you were when you first came out of the womb. You were Robert, not Dale McElhaney. You were just Robert McElhaney. Correct. Right. The third. The third. From Philly. From Philly. Thank you for allowing me to be inside of you today. It feels good so far. So far? It feels natural. Even though I messed up Dale? Yeah. I like Dale. I think I should just start calling I, you I Dale I don't mind now. it either. I don't know why, whoever it was that, that picked it, I... It doesn't seem arbitrary. It seems like they 
he or she had a very specific reason as to why they picked Dale? Not gender specific. Anybody could have done this. Yeah. I'm guessing it was a dude. Yeah. If I had to guess. Dude, this guy's an asshole. This Rob McElhaney. Let's let's give him Dale. He pissed me off. He wouldn't sign an autograph. <laughs> maybe I'll maybe I'll take it. You know what's funny is I, I read somewhere, or maybe it was Rob and he told me, you said that you don't think you're that funny, naturally funny. Right. Did you write did you say that? Yes. Why would you say something like that? So far you've been naturally funny in the first minute of this podcast. Oh, I I wouldn't say so. I wouldn't say I don't think anybody's laughing so far. You don't think Dale got him just a bit, maybe a little smirk? Yeah, no, I don't. I, I don't think that I'm very funny. I've ne- I was never the, the funny guy. I, all of my friends growing up, that I was never like the clown. I was never the guy that made people laugh. No, we, we met. You know how we met? New York. Yep. What year? 1996. 96, maybe. Uh, we we had the same agent. Yep. Anne Lauren. Correct. S E M and M was the agent. Shipman, Ekman, Morrison, Morrison and, and Marks. Marks. Yes. I remember she said to me one day, Michael, I had this new client. He's a sweet guy. Would you and Ballard allow him to sleep on your couch for a few nights? And I yes. believe you did. I think I was only there a, f- a few nights, although there, you had a, a, another roommate, friend, Chad. <laughs> Chad. Uh, and I wound up, he would go out of town. He was the, he was the workingest actor that I had ever met. Yeah, he, he, he did he, a lot of commercials. He worked quite a bit. And he was out of town a lot, and he would let me just crash in his apartment. On 22nd Street. Right. But we, yeah, I lived with three guys in a one bedroom. And uh, that was tight. That was a tight squat. And I had the honor. Did you, do you remember good times in those nights that you stayed there? Was it uh, loud? I remember you guys play, you, you guys played a lot of video games. Of course. Yeah. You played a lot of, uh, like parlor games, sure. If I if I recall correctly, yeah. There sure. was a fair amount of nudity. There was some nudity. Only men. Lots of dudes. No girls naked. No. Do you remember the bunk bed I had? Eighty first and third upstairs. We had a bunk bed in one room. So Matt, we only had a one bedroom. So Matt was on the bottom. Dave was on the top. I was on a futon mattress that curled up against the bunk bed. And every morning, Dave had to wake up and do telemarketing. So I'd say, Dave, before we went to bed, please don't jump on my feet. Don't land on my legs. You could crush your ankles. You could hurt me. Dave, who I saw, I guess I saw, well, now I think it was a few years ago, but Dave looks like a bodybuilder the last time I saw him. It's kind of big. Yeah. Well, when I met you, you weren't a big guy. I'm still not a big guy. Yeah, you are. Look at those muscles. You got tats. You You were like this innocent, sweet. That's what I knew of you. I I remember, you know, you weren't real talkative, but you you were cool. But I didn't know much about you. Right? Yeah. You, 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 <laughs> I don't know. Are you, do, are you doing that on purpose? Because I'm still that guy. I, yeah, I, I don't know that I'm that talkative. Well, maybe I'm talkative. still nice. I, th- I think you're wonderful. You haven't changed in that in that regard. I'm just saying that so let's let's go back. Okay, let's go back. How far to, to Philly? Where in Philly? South Philadelphia. Is that a pleasant place to be? Um, yes, it was a pleasant place to grow up. Is it? Was it was it tough. Uh, uh, sure, sure. I didn't. I, I'm teaching my kids how to ride a bike now. Right. And uh, I'm realizing that I didn't learn how to ride a bike. They're six, and my oldest son is six, and all of his friends can ride a bike. Like six, they've been they've been riding a bike for a year, I guess. Not. I think that's just California lifestyle. I didn't learn Jeez. how to ride a bike till I was 14, which is late. That's a little but late. That's because I wasn't. We weren't allowed to go past two blocks in any direction because that's when the neighborhood got tough. Within two blocks. Yeah, two or three blocks. Well, that's not that's not much space. You couldn't, much you, distance. Yeah, it was a very specific enclave. At least that's what we were told. I mean, I had been beaten up a few times when I ventured 
past that, that, that would be the reason why I didn't learn how to ride a bike because it would have gotten stolen. So did you come from a, a good family? Were you, were you a broken family? Were you a dysfunctional family? I would was- say it was a good family and it was a broken family. And I don't, I've never met a family that wasn't dysfunctional in some, in some way. Right. But uh, yeah, my parents split up when I was young. How old? Eight. I wish my parents would have split up when I was eight. Yeah, see, I hear that a lot. I hear that a lot. Yeah. It was just people who split up. Yeah, dysfunctional. Were they, to, were they together for? 27 years. And then split up. Yeah, but there were some really tough times. And, you know, uh, I mean, I just wish they would have probably How old were you when they split up? Uh, I was, uh, I remember I just moved to L.A., so I was like 20, mid-20s, and I was uh, ju- just got my first job, which I thought, that was you know, this is it, I've made it. It was the Tom Arnold show, which means I didn't make it, but it was still a show, and it was great. It was a lot of fun. Wait, I thought Zoe Duncan, no. Jack and Jane was, oh, that Zoe, came afterwards. Yeah, Jack and George, that, that was, uh, that Zoe, was a little later. Zoe Duncan, Jack and Jane. Jane, Jane. I yeah. know the names of the show. You do. Yeah. But uh, I got cast for this Tom Arnold series called The Tom Show with Ed McMahon. and uh, Amazing. And so I was on there, and my mother called me hysterically, you know, crying, and I'm going to kill myself. And uh, your father left, and he met some tramp in the Philippines and lost her mind. And But that's not exactly what happened. Uh, There's three sides one, to every getting, story. Yes, yes you you're see. getting one side of it. See, my mom was a bit of a uh, flirt, and she went out with men and did things, and something. my dad thinks things happened, and my sister... A lot of people think things happen, but she doesn't admit that. But we all kind of know things might have happened. Mm. And so he probably said at some point, fuck it, I'm out. And, you know, but it was kind of coming to a, coming to a head for a good 20 years. And so they were on, you, you, you remember it being an unhappy marriage. I remember there were some nice moments, but I remember it became, it was very weird. It was very, you know, my mom was always trying to say, oh, look what I did. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? And my dad was like really supportive. But after a while, it kind of becomes like, yeah, you're so great. You're the best. Passive aggressiveness kind of both like despised each other. It was just a weird thing going on. And my mom would interview baseball players and all this stuff. So it was weird. What about you? So interview baseball players? She would interview Major League Baseball players and she wasn't really a sports... I, I get, well, she wrote articles, but she was interviewing Major League Baseball players. And I guess my dad, we all thought maybe she's she might be sleeping with someone. We don't know. A we, baseball not, player? Maybe. Which one? Uh, I think there was rumors that she slept with Howard Johnson, but I'm not sure this is true. Again, she's probably listening and saying, that's ah, bullshit. But, you know, we don't really know the answer. We know that she's at a At least flirt. he was an all-star. She may have not cheated at all. Yeah, he was an all-star for a while. Struck out a lot, too. Yeah. But it pissed me off. Not I'm with your mom. I'm a Mets fan. No, didn't. I hope he struck out with my mom. I hope he didn't, that didn't happen. But I think my dad probably was emasculated a little bit. And my mother was sort That's of... That's fair. Yeah, and I think that just... It was a little dysfunction, and we kind of felt it in the family. But, you know, they did the best. My dad married her when he was 18. Oh, she wow, was 23 yeah. with two kids. They were young. They were idiots. They didn't really get to. So I kind of just, you got to just. That's some let real it go. Kentucky bullshit. Right? That's some Indiana bullshit. In, oh, sorry, that's College in Kentucky, Indiana. though. That's right. So what about you? Let's talk about your dysfunction here. Yes. Where was dad? Well, I, uh, so I always remember my parents having a very good relationship, and they still continue to do so to this day. Really? Mm-hmm. But how old were they when they divorced? Uh, I was eight. My sister was seven. My brother was five, I believe. It was somewhere in that zone. It was a little bit of a blur. Do you remember some of it? Like yeah. certain things that happened where you were like, what is going on? Something's wrong. Dad's not home or mom's not home. Uh, yeah, they handled it pretty well. I mean, my mother moved. My mother was the one that moved out. And every day when we came home from school, she was there. But then she would leave when my dad came home. And then uh, on the weekends, we'd do every other, every other weekend. 
but it was it was a different circumstance because my my mother left my father for another woman, and then they've been together for thirty years since then. Since then, how how hard was it for your dad? Do you remember that? Have you ever talked about it to him? Well, yeah, yeah, we talk we talk about it quite a bit. I mean, in retrospect, it, he says the most difficult thing was was having uh, three children all of a sudden with no mother uh, living in the house. Right. Um, that was the most difficult thing. And so where was he working? He was working about 45 minutes away from our house in South Philly in the northeast part of the city. So who was watching so, you? Your babysitters? Services. Yeah. Uh, in Philly, um, very much different than Los Angeles, the neighborhoods are very tight-knit, and we had family members all over the place. So we would have cousins. We would have aunts. We would have, our grandmother was right around the corner. We lived right next door in a row home, right next door to our great aunt. Uh, an uncle, and they were retired, so they would watch us. Uh, or my mother would come home from work, and she would watch us. And then, you know, after that, we became latchkey kids, which uh, wasn't odd right. in the 80s. And, 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 and then I took on a fair amount of responsibility at an early age, taking care of my brother and sister. Do you resent that? No. You probably did then. I don't think so. I, I accepted it. I wouldn't say that I was responsible. I mean, I was in charge, and so we would just watch TV. That was it. That was it. It was kind <laughs> of a party. And how old were you at this <laughs> Uh, maybe starting at like 10 or 11. Watching your nine-year-old brother yep, and your seven-year-old sister. Mostly I was watching TV. Right. You and they really were watching, watching along with me. And then, um, you know, we'd get our homework done and then watch television, uh, which turned into a profession, which is great. So that was like kind of a, uh, that was my education. Well, what about the old boys Catholic school? When did you go there? Yeah. I went to an all boys Catholic school my, almost my entire life. Is that weird? What, what, happens, what happens in that? You always think of some nuns smacking you with a ruler or uh, some crazy shit. Yeah, I think it was like that in the 50s and the 60s. It was certainly (laughs) – there was certainly a fair amount of discipline. Uh, But I I believe that those four years of my life uh, were the most important years of my life, like 14 to 18. Those are real impressionable years for a a young troubled man. And uh, they set me straight. How did they do that? I just have a lot. I just had a lot of behavioral issues, um, anger issues. Sure, you'd lash sure. out. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm sure there was a fair amount of um, resentment that I had built up that didn't feel conscious. Right. You know, it was it was sort of locked in locked in the in the unconscious subconscious, yeah. and and I was never a good athlete, and I wanted to be, which was hard. You know, That's hard. Hard. You know, look, you remember in um, in uh, Amadeus. I remember Falco. They sang "Rock Me, Amadeus." That's fair. Was it in the movie? Amadeus uh, in Amadeus, the uh, the the character that F. Murray Abraham played, Salieri. Mm -hmm. He was an okay composer, and he knew he would never be great. He didn't. He didn't really believe that that was the the ultimate curse of his life. The ultimate curse of his life was that he was that God, which he believed in, gave him the desire to be a great composer but not the ability so why the fuck would you give me the desire and not the ability (laughs) right either give me the ability or fuck off right and uh i just didn't understand why i was given such a desire to be an athlete what sports literally everything you loved hockey you loved the flyers i love the flyers broad street bullies were around then well um, maybe it was a little before street bullies were, were were before me but i was of the era of pelly Lindbergh. Ron, I know you're Ron Hextall. Ron Hextall. Love Hextall. I went to Ron Hextall's first game against the Edmonton oh, Oilers. What a thrill! That was a thrill. 
and I became an and instant. And that was a rival, the Flyers and Oilers. Big time. Yeah. Big time. I became a, an instant uh, Flyers fan. Are you a Flyers and fan that, now? Uh, Huge? Yeah. You know, it's funny. I've been living out here now for 13 years, and I've become friends with a few of the Kings. And so I got to go to a lot of those games to go and hang out with them and watch them. And it happened to be the year that they won the Stanley Cup for the first, first time. time. That was 2000, what was that? A few years ago. Yeah. And then and then I went back the next year, and they had a good run, but they didn't win. And then the following year, they oh, won yeah. again against your Rangers. Thank you. And I was there for... For for, for I was both there, cups, I was there for I was there for games one and two, and uh, we were up in the third. Bad call, interference. They didn't call it, and the Rangers lost, and I was heartbroken. That, yeah. that series was a lot closer than people. Uh, it was uh, it was incredibly close. And look, in terms of like a live sporting event, you can't beat being in a double overtime game. No, when, and 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 a goal wins this wins the entire. The thing. energy in there is just you, you can't describe it yeah people watch hockey and they're like hockey sucks they watch it on tv go to a hockey game so fun you just feel that energy and the so hits it's so fast yeah so i played street hockey and i was terrible so uh that didn't work out but then i tried to <laughs> i tried to play football basketball baseball like all the classics then i kind of went to like the i went to, to to some of the other you know secondary sports like wrestling were you good at wrestling fucking terrible how could terrible. you be terrible? You just grab onto someone and throw them down. I was always undersized. Yeah, me too. You know, super undersized. Um, and uh, and I just had no athletic ability. That sounds, that's heartbreaking, actually. It, you know, look, kid looking back wants on to it, be this. Yes, but. and looking back on it, you, who, who, who cares? But when you're 14 and 15, you know, those kinds of things are, are important. And uh, it just drove me, it just drove me ins- insane. So what were you doing? You say that those four years from 14 or whatever for Catholic boys school or whatever changed your life. What changed it? What was it? Did you, I think did it's you... something specific to the, to the Jesuit approach. You know, What's I, that? I, I, um, their, their whole MO is teaching you how to question authority. Always be asking questions. Never take somebody's word for it, which is fascinating uh, considering it's Catholicism. Right, and that mostly people just say, just listen to it and follow these rules. Exactly. Or you go to hell. The way they approached it was, you can ask questions, you can have an opinion, you can think I'm wrong, but you better come at me you get it strong. Right. You know? Don't come at me with, with uh, I, don't, uh, you know, I don't agree with this, and then I say why, and you don't have 10 reasons. You've got to come up with a reason. So, uh, you know, that certainly instilled a tremendous amount of discipline do you remember moments when you stood up to your uh, whoever, the nun or the, the, the pastor or whatever, who, who was it that you, you stood up to and you questioned authority? Quite often. It was encouraged. Well, I'll give you it an was, example. It, Do you it, remember one, one specifically where you just kind of lost your cool and you're like, this is why I don't believe this? Yeah. Yes. And, and I, got into, uh, I got into a physical altercation with i mean and that was all, also something that's in i, I guess it's just it's part of the of, jesuit you're allowed to you're allowed to punch not people. with an, not with an adult <laughs> uh but you know i look you put you put a 14 to 17 year old boys together in a in a in a in a and by the way it was in a really tough neighborhood in philly so you weren't allowed to leave the campus so once you were there they would lock the doors and then everybody was in there and it would just you know it would just be it would be festering with testosterone and, uh, you and weren't a big were kid. No. So you got beat up a lot. Yeah. Like bloody lips, bloody sure. eyes, black eyes. I mean, that's crazy to me. That I mean, you were constantly in fights. I mean, you're 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 watching your brother and sister at the house. You're a young kid. Your mom 
has left. You don't understand this. You're a little confused. You're watching your TV. You're going to a Catholic school. Yeah. You're and you're getting into fist fights all the time. It didn't seem like there was a real future for you. <laughs> That's what I'm gathering. Well, it, it never felt like that, though. I mean, really? yeah, sort of in retrospect, if you look at it, it never felt that way. If because I had, I guess I had a, an incredible support system. I mean, the way that the school approached their education uh, was. You can be anything, you can do anything, but it's going to be really fucking hard. And I feel like if I feel like you hear a lot of people talk about you can be anything, you can be everything, and they forget the second part, mm-hmm. and that's bullshit. And then you can you, you hear a lot of people talking about the second part, which is hey, life's really hard without the first part, and right. that's also bullshit. So you're saying so, I should probably become a Jesuit? Well, I think there's still time for you. I mean, it sounds like that's a badass religion. Like a lot of times we talk about how religion doesn't work. You know, people say, you know, religion is that's why there's wars. That's why there's all this shit. Uh, it's all about religion. But sometimes you hear the stories where it's like, hey, this actually taught me a lot of lessons. And I have friends in Indiana who's are Catholics and they're just really good families and they have good morals and they're good people. And I think that's what most of it is, is just be, being a good person. You know, sure. Yeah. I mean, look, they're, 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 the main takeaway that they wanted you to walk out of that school with was to become a man for others. That was their – that's the tagline, St. Joe's Prep, man. Be a man for others. That's really what it was. That's what it is. Be a man for others. Yeah. Do you think you have become a man for others? I'm working on it. I think it's a lifelong pursuit. Some days. Some days not. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I don't know how many times I have to talk about this, but it's so important. If you're sitting there right now and you're stressed or you're anxious or you have a lot on your mind and you just bottle it up and you don't know what to do, it's going to come out. And it's not going to come out in great ways all the time. Um, BetterHelp has helped me substantially. Ryan here has been using it for a while. And, I, you know, don't you notice when you don't use BetterHelp, when you don't have therapy? Oh, the weeks where I miss a session? Of course, yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's, it's like the more you talk about something, even if you don't think you have anything to talk about, things come up and it puts your mind at ease. And we all carry around different stressors, you know, big and small And at times, we keep carrying them around rather than processing them and letting them go. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. Therapy from BetterHelp is helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. It's for all of us. If you're thinking of starting therapy... Give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. I think people think, oh, what if I don't like my therapist? If you don't, you switch them. It's that easy. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash inside today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash inside inside of you is brought to you by rocket money i love rocket money you know why because everyone should have rocket money because it just helps you save money how many times do we have subscriptions that we don't even know we have anymore and we're paying so much money just throwing away money ryan i i found one you and you did it you told me i got rocket money (laughs) okay i found one it i'm embarrassed to say how long it's been going on but thank you for finding it (laughs) <laughs> my god 
It was embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, because it's like you want to watch some show and you go, oh, I have to subscribe to this uh, this streaming dev- uh, whatever. Mm-hmm. And you, you start streaming the show, you watch it, you leave, and you forget after this trial period it kicks in and it's they're charging terrible. you 10 bucks a month. It's, it is embarrassing. Ugh. You know, 75% of people have subscriptions they've forgotten about. Before I started using Rocket Money, I thought I had, you know, like, oh, I have like five subscriptions. I could not believe it when they showed me I was paying for like four extra uh, between, you know, streaming advices and fitness apps, delivery services. It's never ending. And thanks to Rocket Money, I'm no longer wasting money on the ones I forgot about. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Rocket Money will even try to negotiate lowering your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is submit a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. They'll deal with the customer service for you. And I like that. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash inside. That's rocketmoney.com slash inside. Rocketmoney.com slash inside. So you're not a good student. Uh, No, I was a good student. You were? Yeah. Like really good grades? Pretty good, yeah. Because you were interested. I guess, did you have good teachers? Yeah, well, one of, one of the things that they really encouraged was curiosity. Again, that was all about the questioning of authority and never taking somebody's word at face value. You know, do the work and, and read about it, under, uh, try to understand. And I always, I always liked that. And I, ha- I had uh, interest in lots of different things. Why didn't I go to this school? It could have helped. Oh, my God. It could have helped. I think I would have matured a lot faster. Yeah, and I had I, I did and still continue to do have um, I have major problems with the Catholic Church. I'm not Catholic. I don't consider myself Catholic. I'm not raising my kids Catholic. However, there is a sister school out here, a brother school, I should say, out here uh, that's Jesuit that I would consider strongly for my boys because it had such a tremendous impact on me. And in fact, not just me, I'm still, still my closest friends in the world are the guys I went to high school with. I have a cadre of guys, probably 15 deep, that... 15 guys that you, you knew when you still, were 14 and my, 17 or 18 yeah. that you still talk still to. Still my closest friends. Have they changed? Are they all good men? Did mm-hmm. they listen to the whole... Uh, yeah, really? everybody, in the, everybody in their own way. And what was the a name lot, of the school? St. Joe's Prep. St. Joe's Prep. St. Joseph's Prep. Prep prepar- preparatory School for Boys. And it's still working? Founded in 1851. Do you ever go back? All the time. How often? In fact, one of my friends who... Real tough background, real tough guy. Did you get a fight with him? Uh... No, never. He was always one of my best friends. He is now, uh, he was the dean of students, which is like the disciplinarian. Wow. Which is wild. And now he's the athletic director. Do they still paddle? Paddle? Yeah. Oh, you mean like like a whooping? Yeah, I got I got whooped a little bit in Indiana at my some schools in the younger days. No. Yeah, I got paddled. That, well, that's, that's, that's no longer tolerated. Yeah, across the country, that's, you can't do that. Yeah, you know, I mean, on, on account of all the state and federal laws. Yeah, it's, it's illegal. Yeah, child abuse. <laughs> child abuse. Is what yeah. It is. Yeah, and also I never really quite understood that. And I guess it's – I suppose it stands to reason that uh, how you hit somebody to teach them not to hit somebody is, is still beyond yeah. my, my ability to reason. It's very embarrassing. I was pretty mortified as a kid getting Yeah, well, that's the other thing. It's, that's the other thing. It's humiliating. Humiliating. So how, how does that teach a, a child that an adult can at any moment humiliate you in front of 
It broke me. Of course. I remember fifth grade. It broke me. I remember walking into the back. I said, he said, get the teacher said, get back in the classroom. I go, I, can I please go to the bathroom? And he said, yeah. And I went in there and I just cried. Sure. Cried in a stall. And then class let out like a minute later and all these people were coming in and out and I locked myself in the stall and I just remember crying. Yeah. And all these ignorant motherfuckers will say, ah, yeah, but you'll never do that thing again. Okay. Well, maybe you won't, but. No, why I, are you I, not? I did it. Well, sure. I, I kept and then, doing it. And then, of course, you keep That's doing it. That's why I hate authority. That's why I hate people yeah, telling and, and me even what if to do. You, or... Even if you were to not do it, and people would look at that and say, okay, well, that's evidence of it, of it working. But the question is, why are you not doing it? Are you doing it because you re- recognize that all of a sudden that that's, that's the right or, and or wrong thing to do? Or are you doing it because you don't want to be humiliated in yeah. front of the class? And there's a difference. Yeah. There's a cognitive difference I agree. as you move on in your life. Did you know what a lesbian was when you were eight years old? Not quite, but I figured it out real fast. How fast? By like 10 or 11, I recognized that I was, be, that I was uh, half my time was, was, was split and the other half of my, uh, my time was, was with the gay community. And when I say gay community, I mean it was just um, everybody that we were with, the part, obviously still men and women. But the men's partners were men and the women's partners were women. And so it's pretty obvious rather quick. Did anyone tell you? No. Because I didn't figure it out. My mom was always around gay people. And I was just like, oh, that guy's kind of fun. Nobody ever, nobody ever, to this day, no one's ever sat. Like Your mother's mom, never said, Rob, I'd like you to know something after. I'm, my mother doesn't even consider herself gay. Really? No, she's in love with Mary, which I've always thought was fascinating. That is. And I'm like, yeah. Hell yeah, you don't have to. But to an eight-year-old boy, it's just like if somebody just. Hey, what's going on here? Yeah, Yeah. it's like, hey, mom's, you know, kissing that woman. Yep. Did you ever, did you see her kiss the woman? Sure, they were affectionate. But they weren't, I mean, it was never like explicit or anything like that. But they were affectionate. And and look at it, this was like, what, the 80s? This is the 80s in in South Philly. So this is not accepted. No. Really. No, not really. tough times for. Not really. But again, to me, you know, how you deal with things in your adolescence and then preteen and then teenage years to me, always seems to be so um, influenced by how your friends are reacting, right? Your peers. And my friends um, never gave a shit, so I never gave a shit. Dude, I grew up in the wrong town. I mean, I look, I love going back. I love, but it was just, it was Indiana. It was Southern Indiana. I mean, there's a lot of good people there. But definitely when I was going to grade school and I, I just remember the word fag being used so loosely and, you're gay. Hey, Rosenbaum, Rosie Palm. And people would use the word so loosely that you just thought it was like, and then I started yeah. thinking as a young kid, am I gay? Yeah. Why am I gay? Why are they saying I'm gay? And it was just used thrown all over the place. And, the, you know, so it was, uh, yeah, that it wasn't was still, as acceptable. That was still there. I mean, you know, I'm, not, I'm, I'm painting Philadelphia as this. Uh, <laughs> this ex- gay accepting, yeah, it was, uh, it lovable was, little. No, it, it was not that. There was still a fair amount of homophobia as, as, the, as there is now. Yeah. It was just. As it was directed at me or about my family, that was never a concern. So you, none of your uh, schoolmates, your peers ever said, did anybody ever say anything where you, you, had, you jumped into a fight because of it? Uh, no. Never really? once. Never once. Good. I mean, I, I knew there, there were certainly some kids who were fascinated by it or interested in it or they would ask me questions. Right. Um, or they'd come over to my house and see, but, but never, it was never, and maybe behind my back or something like that. But at the end of the day, like nobody really gave a shit. You went to college. No. Sort of. 
Does it say it on Wikipedia? No, but I know the story. You did go to Fordham. You like sort of. Oh yeah. You weren't really in. You weren't enrolled. Correct. But you you. I moved to New York. Right. Yeah, and I had a lot of friends that that lived at Fordham University up in the Bronx, and uh, they had an extra bed. But you couldn't afford to go there. No, no, I didn't go. I didn't enroll in. But you just you took classes. Yeah, I you... took classes. I spent some time there uh, again, just out of out of interest and curiosity. I had no for, for what different classes. Or you just what were you interested in? Why were you there? Why did you head over to New uh, York? And I, well, I moved to New York. I was living in Philly after school, and I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. Uh, I had started acting because I was such a terrible athlete, and so we had all guy schools all over Philly. And then all girls Catholic schools. And the girls' schools needed guys for their plays. So our school had a had a actually pretty extensive drama program, but I never did any of the plays at our school. But I heard that Notre Dame Academy needed uh boys for their plays. So right. I went and auditioned for that and then I got I started Why did you audition? Because I wanted to meet girls. That was it. You that just wanted it. to meet girls. You had no – you didn't care about being the next so-and-so. No. You just said, oh, this is cool. It's all girls. Because school. I was a terrible athlete. I had no way in. Uh, I knew from past experience whether it was giving speeches or performing something in class or whatever it was that uh, I had I had some ability to read words <laughs> aloud <laughs> and, uh, and make them mine. And so I – You're a little articulate. For your age, you uh, you felt a little confident when you were. I think speaking. I was just confident. Okay, yeah, I was just confident. I I wasn't afraid to get in front of the class and speak to people. And so, so you went. Yeah, go ahead. So couple that with inability at any athletic endeavor that I tried, and the fact that I wanted to meet girls, uh, and it was a no brainer. So then, so then I started doing that and loved it. Loved it. Did you meet any girl there at the old absolutely tons? Did you have sex? Sure. Yeah. How old were you in that sex? First time? Yeah. I was 16 and a half. What was but the her first name? time, the first time was in I don't you know I don't remember her name because it was at the Princeton Model Congress, which is even way geekier than a play, than a school play. Do you know what a model what the model congresses are? No. They put together these these groups of kids from all over the country. And uh, it's called a Model Congress, Princeton Model Congress, Harvard Model Congress. And it's, it's basically just a group of kids that will travel to D.C. You pretend that you're a member of Congress right. Right, or a rep. And then they put you into committees, and then each person gets to write a bill, and then you go through the entire process of trying to get your bill passed. That's right. Fucking so nerdy when you're 16. But I'm like, I don't know. Let's go do it. Yeah. So I went and did it, and, and I wrote my bill. And in my committee was this lovely lady from – Lovely young lass. Did she believe in your bill? Did she help get it passed? I believe she passed my bill. What was the she bill? She helped pass what my bill. What was the bill, Rob? Do you remember? I do remember what it was. What was it? I was a smoker at the time. I really? was a smoker, yeah. Which also maybe wouldn't have helped out on the, on the, on the gridiron. Maybe that was why I was not such a good athlete. <laughs> yeah. uh, or maybe I, I turned to smoking because I was not such a good athlete. I'll be a badass. Sure. I noticed that... A lot of um, companies were forcing now forcing their employees to go out on the street to smoke. So that seems like fairly inefficient. It's great for people who don't smoke, but if you're working in a in a high rise complex, for like you know a, a, a skyscraper, just the amount of time that it takes you to get on the elevator, go down, smoke the cigarette, go back up. So my bill 
was something about allocating a certain amount of funds to create a smoker's lounge <laughs> in, in buildings of a certain size, which, by the way, is only private enterprise but have nothing to do with the government. In fact, it's like an incredible infringement upon on the populace. However, I thought it would be a good idea uh, that, that you'd have to certain, allocate a certain amount of taxpayer money, which would ultimately uh, create a more efficient, efficient environment and you would wind up saving hundreds of millions of dollars. And I did a bunch of research to, to Jeez, back that you up. you really went into this. Yeah. And was she impressed by this? Was no, she, Was no, she also no. a smoker? Uh, she was a smoker. She was from the South. She was from Southern, um, well, she was from Maryland, which to me was the South. Anything South of Philly. Philly. <laughs> it's pretty much the South. <laughs> I, I remember she was from Cumberland, Maryland. And she was uh, You know her name. She you won't was, say it. I, I really it. don't remember her name. It was the it was the first and last time that I had ever and but this is before cell phones, and what am I gonna do? Give her my parents' number in Philly? So uh call we you, made sweet. Did she call love. you Dale? Maybe, maybe she's the one that came up with the Yeah, the you never called name. me again. Dale. Man, that was the best. That was the greatest. It was the greatest. The sex? Well, just the fact that I lost my virginity at the, at the Princeton Model Congress. Do you remember how happy you were after it happened? So, but, you know, relieved more relieved. than anything You else. just got it out of your system. Yeah, because also, fast? I don't know. The, of course. How, how long? Oh, I, 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 I couldn't rubber? say for sure. Of course. Well, good, good for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I was just, I was more excited about being able to go back to philly and tell all my friends and i was i did it i did it i finally yeah but you can't throw a ball exactly oh they wouldn't say that they were nice guys they were they were supportive you know everybody came to the plays so you started liking it you had to start liking this i started enjoying the plays but then when i graduated high school and i was the only kid in my class that didn't go it was a a prep school so everybody was was expected to go to college and and i was expecting to go to college i just didn't i wanted to take a year off so i spent that first six months traveling around and visiting my friends at different schools all over the country, not this far west, but really up and down the Northeast Corridor um, and then down south a couple of places. Just figuring out what you wanted to do? Yeah, figuring out where I wanted to go and what I wanted to do. Uh, like I wanted to take a year off and, you know, travel, although I didn't really travel outside of the contiguous United States. Right. And, uh, and everywhere I went, I noticed that the kids were going into massive amounts of debt and – weren't taking school very seriously. They didn't care about it. Um, and all they were doing was partying, which was fine and fun, but I could do that and was doing that. And it just didn't seem like a worthwhile goal over the next four years to get a, a bachelor in communications or something. So you said, like I'm that. not doing this. Well, I said, I, I, let me take a little bit more time off and, and see. And then I, I, then I, when I went to New York, I visited some friends at Columbia and some friends at Fordham and thought, this is the greatest. This is the first time. I, so New York is only 90 minutes away from Philly, but I'd never been to New York City before. And if anybody who's ever been to New York knows that first time you go to New York City. Overwhelming. It's overwhelming. And I thought, I'm moving here. And I went back to Philly, packed my bag. I think I had like 150 bucks and moved. And where'd you stay? Before my couch. I stayed in the Bronx. I stayed with friends in their dorm room. Right. And I got a meal I got a meal plan. I was able to just take a kid's information to the registrar and get a student ID. You so cheater. I got a student ID with a and I bought somebody's food plan from them. And so I ate for essentially for free. I mean the, the the if you remember the meal plans in college are like 
1100 bucks and you eat for an entire semester. Right. So I was able to scrape together, working in a bar, I scraped together a grand in a few weeks, and then I ate for six months. But then you did a play there. Or you got play. cast in a play. Correct. And what happened? I got cast in a play, and uh, the guy who uh, I was auditioning with uh, found out that I was a non-matriculating student. I was not a student. Yeah. And they busted me. And they kicked you off the, out of the play? Were you heartbroken? Yeah. Well, I, yeah. They, I wasn't heartbroken. I mean, I, I think it was fair. It was for students. You're not a student. I'm not a student. I'm not a student. And I just wanted to be, I just wanted to be in the play. I thought it was a cool play. And so they booted me. Uh, luckily, they didn't report me to, you know, to, to security or right. any of the authorities. So the meal I, plan ended too? No. You kept doing I stayed, that? Oh, you kept yeah. eating? Yeah, I stayed on campus. I didn't leave. Oh, good. Everybody like. assumed I was a student. And then after that year, I finally got my big boy pants and moved down to, down to Brooklyn. But, but it was around that time that, that I met you guys. But, but how did someone find you, Ann Lauren or whatever, that you're going to be an actor? How did that happen? How did you get to Ann? I went to Ann through, uh, it was one of those like cattle call agencies. Actually, the same one that Chad Crist went through. Right. Yeah. So I met Ann and she was an agent. And she said, hey, I think you can work. And I think the real reason she thought I could work was because I was 19 and I, I looked like I was 15. Yeah, you looked really young. So I worked. So I immediately started working. Like as soon as I, as soon as she signed me, I started working doing commercials because they yeah. needed kids. Well, you got a commercial here for an anti-smoking commercial. Yeah. Now, were you still smoking when you got it? I was. You were. Uh, Rob, can we cue that? Hey, you. Me? Yeah. Did you ever try cigarettes? I was 14. Any reason? I guess I was trying to be cool or something. Really? Well, yeah. So you tried it because other people were doing it? Yeah, I guess. And why don't you do it anymore? A lot of reasons. just didn't like it, you know? I don't need to smoke to, like, fit in. Hold up. We finished? So angry. You know how I know you're an actor from listening to that? You know the moment, the nuance that I said, that's an actor? <laughs> it's when you're talking and then you just randomly go, hold on a second. Feeling it. How much did you get paid for that anti-smoking commercial? Uh, that was a national network spot. That was not a PSA, which was great. Because PSAs, you don't get paid or you get paid whatever the nominal right. shit, is. Shit. So it was a national network commercial because it was right around the time that Philip Morris had lost some multi-billion dollar lawsuit and one of the things uh, one of the stipulations of of the lawsuit they had to the do these commercials that to, yes that they had to, to do these commercials and they were not public service announcements they were paid so you got paid bucks for that yes and was this one of your first jobs yes my fr my very first job wow. was uh was a movie called the devil's own yes brad pitt harrison ford yeah that was my first job and i thought well it's all so i Jesus. i got this gig and How many lines did you have? I had like three scenes. Three with, scenes. With Brad Pitt? One with Brad Pitt, one with Harrison Come Ford. On. One with Ruben Blades. Do you know who Ruben no, Blades is? No, don't know Ruben Blades. Ruben Blades is a uh, – I didn't know who he was at the time either, but now I do. He's just he's – in, he's incredibly famous all over uh, Latin America. He's Latin America right. singer. So I thought, wow, man, like I, I just moved to New York and now I'm sitting with Brad Pitt and I'm talking to him and I have a scene. Were you starstruck? Yeah, did Harrison he, did Ford. Did he know man. it? Did he know it? I played it cool with Brad. He did. But Harrison Ford, that's tough, man. That's that's I mean, that's Han Solo. That's, that's, that's Indiana Jones. That's that's Han Solo. I mean, how do you not flip the hell out? 
Yeah, it was it, it was uh, it was an amazing experience. And actually, Alan Pakula was the director, and Gordon Willis was the cinematographer. I mean, it's just like how old are you? Nineteen. Nineteen years old. Yeah. Nineteen. I mean, it seems like it was just a year ago, two a couple of years ago, that you just you banged that uh, young lady up at the uh, right. Yeah, it was. And look at what's it happening. Was a few, you it had was sex. A few you get a movie. You get a smoking commercial. You're smoking just like that. Oh. I mean, it just it was, really happened. Yeah, I mean, it was smooth sailing from the time that I met that lovely lass in, from Cumberland, Did Maryland. you think, I made it now? I'm yes. working with no, Brad Pitt, I, Harrison Ford. I really thought, well, now I'm going to join the union, and I'm going to get paid, and now I can quit my job at the bar. How much did you make for that movie? A couple grand. A couple grand. That's a lot of money back then. I remember yeah. making a couple grand and thinking, I'm rich for the rest of my life. Oh, yeah. I'm wrong. I was now, wrong. I, had to pay, well, I had to pay the union. To join, so right couple there, thousand. That's a couple thousand. You're gone. No so more money. Gone. You're gone. But now I'm like, well, now I'm in the union, so now I'm gonna. And then I just did this movie. I'm gonna work nonstop. And then I didn't work. And then I got cut out of the movie. How did you find out? Did you just? Did they tell you? I found out by going to the movie. Well, I wasn't invited to like any of the events, which is not which is not uncommon for somebody. Yeah, I wasn't invited to the Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil. I had like an eight minute scene. That was a big. Well, that was like a big scene in the movie, and uh, and I spent like a thousand dollars on a suit, and I went, you know, I went there, and uh, anyway, you were, but yeah, I just wasn't invited. But you were a great inspiration to me. I mean, to all of us, because you were, you worked so much, so fast. I remember seeing your billboard. The reason I remember Zoe, Duncan, Jack, and Jane was because I remember seeing the billboard all wow. over the subways in New York City. It was, it was crazy. All over. It was crazy. Even small. Though. I thought it was going to – you know, it's funny. Stop thinking things are going to be a hit after so many things that you thought were going to be a hit aren't. Like Zoe's going to be the next young Seinfeld yes. and then one year it's over. This is going to be the biggest thing. And then after a while, you, you grow up pretty fast. You, you learn that when someone says you're going to be a star or this is going to be big, you just go, yeah. thank you. So I actually learned that, that, that very valuable lesson around this time because I had, um, I had done that movie and then I had done, you know, a couple of other like weird, weird commercials. And then I was in for an audition at, at this, uh, recording agency. And I, and as I was walking out, this woman comes out of a recording booth and she says, Hey, can you come here for a second? Are you an actor? I said, yes. She said, we're trying, we need like a young male voice to say this line for this commercial will you come in and do it i said sure just randomly just I, she they just needed it like quick so i said yeah sure i walk in and she said the line was 1-800-COLLECT save a buck or two if you remember before cell phones there was this thing called 1-800-COLLECT and that was the I, way I remember that okay so i go in i say 1-800-COLLECT save a buck or two i said it four times she says thank you here's sign this you can leave i get a call like two weeks later the producer calls my agent and says, this is going to be a Super Bowl commercial. And there's a, a bonus for that for some reason. I say, okay, great. The commercial then proceeds to air for a full two years after that. Come on. And I made- it never happens to me. I made more money on that than any anything, anything that I had done. How much that money? Point. You get this point. How much? $150,000. Yeah, it was like over- over a two-year period, it was like $93,000. Unbelievable. Like Which when you're in your early 20s and, of course, after taxes and you pay your agent. It's still $40,000. It's still a tremendous $40, amount of yeah. money. And I, that, that's a very valuable lesson, which is, you know, the, the, the things that 
that you think are going to make you a star or the things that are going to pan out, the things that are going to turn. So much of it is just luck and being at the right and putting yourself in the right in, in position to be in the right place at the right time. Yeah. What do they say? Luck is a commodity of preparation and opportunity. Preparation, perspiration, I believe. Maybe Is that what, what it thinking? is? I don't know. So you're cut from the Brad Pitt movie. You're heartbroken. Did you see it with anybody? Did you take anybody to see this movie? No, because I caught wind. I played um, Julia Stiles. Do you know Julia Stiles? Sure. I don't know her personally. In the movie, I played her boyfriend. So I ran into her, and she had seen the movie, and she told me before the movie came out. And when she walked away, did your heart sink? Oh, I was devastated. Devastated. It happened again, too. It happened again. uh, Wonder Boys. Yeah. And this time, how many scenes did you have in this movie? Same deal, like four scenes. And I was playing somebody's boyfriend. Whenever you're playing somebody's boyfriend. You're expendable. You're expendable. And you thought before, did you already learn your lesson or were you saying it can't, I learned ha- my lesson. It can't happen again? I learned my it lesson. It can't happen. I learned my lesson, but I, but I was a little bit more, I wouldn't say that I was integral to the story, but I was less expendable than I was in the, in the first one. But they figured out how to, <laughs> I figured out a way to, to get Not me. one moment in the movie. Not, you don't see yourself. I'm essentially just a glorified extra in it. Which is odd. So every once in a while, they'd cut to me sitting next to Katie Holmes, and there's just this dude, and we're in a two shot, and it seems odd that we'd be in the two shot. Now, did you bring people to that movie? No, because Curtis Hansen. Oh, Curtis Hansen. Rest in yeah. peace. May he rest in peace. Uh, Traffic? No, no. Uh, that's, uh, the big movie. It's Usual Suspects. You, uh, no, no that's LA Confidential. LA Confidential. God, yes. I got it. I got it. Uh, so Curtis wrote me a letter, a handwritten letter. You still have it? Fuck no. Yeah, you cut me, motherfucker. Yeah, it wasn't like, hey, congratulations. It was just to let you know this is what happened. It had nothing to do with your performance. It was all about pacing and yada, 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 which I thought was really kind, and he did not have to do. Was your uh, ego a little fucked? This isn't like you're getting cut from, like, some independent movie. You're getting cut from a big movie. Yeah. With big actors. Yeah. No, I... I think I would have probably killed myself. I was. <laughs> I don't think I have enough. You're, you're stronger than I am. I was devastated. No, I was devastated. But I was more. I was more just in that fight or flight. I had a fight or flight response for like a good four years. I, it was. I was living so hand to mouth. I think I you were mature, more mature than a lot of people at that age too, because you were. It's. It's. You don't think about it, but the the Catholic school. Uh, you know, ra- you know, sort of raising your brothers and sisters. I think there was something. I don't know, innate. Something that you just didn't even realize that you were. You were more mature. You were ahead of your time. I, 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 I think. No? Maybe. Yeah, maybe. It, it could be. I, I also just felt like I was just not going to fail. I just wasn't going to fail. No matter what. No matter what. So it, it, even the little speed bumps. And that was also just the ignorance of youth. Like I was in my early 20s. I feel like I'm a lot more fragile now than I was then. I can be. Yeah. It's, it's weird. I think I've grown where I'm just sort of trying to – hey, I'm scared of this and I'm scared of failure, but my therapist tells me the only way you're really going to be successful is by failing. It will make you stronger. You need to fail. You need to. I go, but I throw up before I'm doing stand-up comedy. It's like, I don't give a shit. That's good. That's your, you got to just keep doing it. So I keep pushing myself saying, you know, I'm going to do things and, and it's scary, but I feel like I need to be more vulnerable, need to just let it go. And who cares if people think I suck? I I talk about that all, all, all the time, you know, in our writer's room. Which is like we're, we're most successful when we're when we find things that we assume aren't going to work, and sometimes they don't. And you also, when you're 21 years old, I don't even know how this ha- happens. You optioned a script for Paul Schrader. Yeah. I, well, Taxi I, Driver, Raging Bull. Yeah. 
I, I, how does that happen? When did you start writing? Were you always That's writing? That's when I started writing. No, I wasn't always writing, and I was complaining that I wasn't working. And my agent at the time said, you know, then you should write something. So I did. I learned, I bought, you know, Sid Field screenwriting books, and uh, I spent so much time watching television shows and watching movies that I just, I feel like I have an internal understanding of, of structure. Structure that that I think I just had to tap into. I think structure is, it's an amazing thing because I I, I write scripts and I've sold things and I always feel like I'm really good with dialogue and I can come up with scenes and I have ideas and come up with a great ending, but structure is, it it is an extremely difficult thing to kind of grasp. Yeah. It's just math. Yeah. It's It's like, how how do we get to the end? How do we, what, and how do we keep, you know, what's the turning point? What's, how do we keep people interested? How, how do we keep people invested in the story? It's, it's a gift. It really is. Well, it's, I mean, the, the people who, who are the best at it recognize that it's a mathematical equation that they have to figure out. And yet, how do you present that formula in a new and interesting way? And in a way that tricks the audience into believing that they're seeing something completely unique, even though they're not. How does someone learn that that young? Oh, I didn't. I'm not one of those people. You're not, but you sold the script. Yeah. And this didn't get made. No, that did not get made. And after a year of development with Paul, he moved on to something else. The production company went And you were meeting with him. Oh, yeah. I was working with him. And you were 21. Yeah, I was 20. Yeah, 21. That is just fascinating to me how a 21-year-old who doesn't have a lot of experience in writing is just hanging out with Paul Schrader talking about a script, developing a script. I, I wrote the script. It was not funny at all. It was not a, it was not a comedy. It was a thriller. It got optioned by this company called Propaganda Films, and then they got it to they got it to Paul, and Paul was interested in it. But then every time we sat down, he would give me these extensive notes, and then I would go, and it would be a little bit. He would just he's an odd guy, and he would want to take it to very different and dark places, and I was okay with that, even though it wasn't necessarily my instinct because I got to work with him, and. I, I thought, well, if this is what it's going to take to get the movie made, then that's, then that's what I'll do. Did you keep in touch after? <laughs> Did you ever call and say, hey, how you doing? No. How's it going? I remember when I first walked into the office, he had this like seedy office. In, it's exactly what you would like if you're picturing Paul. Like a sort of him. Yeah. So it's this sort of seedy office in, in Times Square. Not neat either, is it? Yeah. And it was just, uh, you, I walked in. And I'm smelling was urine a, right now. There was a, yeah, that's, that's the kind of, and like, he, I don't even think he, he, he doesn't smoke, but it smelled like cigarette smoke. Like, Little stains in the floors? Stains in the Why can I see floors. this? And I walked in and uh, there was this young, uh, uh, his yeah, like assistant or receptionist, and it's a really small office. And I said, hey, I'm here for Paul. And she goes, he's a fucking asshole. <laughs> And I was like, oh, cool. All right. That's um, great. That's great. Th- great. Thanks. Can you just tell him Rob's here? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I was, well, maybe I, okay. Wow. Great. And I, and I never saw her again. But <laughs> that was it. That was it for her. And then I, and then I worked with him for, for a year. And then at the end of it, we had nothing. So why did you come out to LA? Not long after that. Not long after What brought that. you? What brought you out here? I got sick of living in squalor. And, uh, and, and, you know, living in New York is great when you're broke, when you first get there because it's romantic and you're young and it's fun. And then uh, I was there from 19, it seems like forever, but I, I think I was there when I was 18 to nine, maybe 19 to 23. And it doesn't help when cut out of this, cut out of this script didn't work. Let's try something different. Yes. And, and, and I was, I was coming out of a, 
of a long-term relationship. And that was like the final straw. So I said, I just got to do something new. Do I know about that relationship? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Yeah. I remember. You remember her. Because I think she came out to LA. She did. And you guys were still trying to think, and things just- We were always off and on. So we broke up for the, f- not the final time, but <laughs> another time. And I just thought, ah, I've had enough, and I got to get out of this city. And so I, I moved I moved west with a with a duffel bag. And what was the, how was LA? I loved it. What did you love about it? Just it was more laid back? It was just different. It was just, it was just different. The weather, it was significantly cheaper than New York. And look at it. I, I, I love living here. I would love to go back to New York for a, a few years. My wife doesn't want to. Right. It's a wonderful and strange place. How many years later was Sunny in Philadelphia? Uh, that would have been two years later. Two years later. I recall you bringing a tape over to my house on Hill Slope Street. Sure. Where we used to hang out. And you brought this tape over and you showed Ballard and I this tape. Mm-hmm. I remember specifically the quality was kind of shitty. Terrible, yeah. And I remember watching it and you're like, hey, we're going to try and sell this. And I remember thinking in my head, yeah, it's all right. I remember just being honest. I remember going, it's all right. And I thought that we're going to try and sell this. I was like, man, I don't, you know, was studios going to buy this? It was shot for nothing. It was like, I don't know. I guess, who does that? Who does? Who shoots something and then gives it to, to a studio or pitches it and they buy it? Yeah, well, luckily the networks didn't have the, that response. That's exactly what I'm they saying. They saw something you didn't. Well, that's what I'm trying to say. I just, I, I was like, I remember singing. I go, I like these characters. I just, I, I don't know. What is this? I don't know exactly what it was. I didn't like it. I just was like, how are they going to fucking sell this? Yeah. They're going to hand this thing. Usually you think of things like they paid a lot of money for it. It looks really fancy. And you guys, there was a joke somewhere where, uh, you know, you said we paid $200 for this. And one of you guys said, uh, no, actually, it was nothing. <laughs> I remember buying the, the cassette tapes because we shot on tape. Right. Cassette tape, the mini, the mini tape on the, at the CVS on um, Fairfax and, and Sunset. That how was long, it. How long did it take to shoot Sonny, the pilot? Well, we shot the original in like a few days, but then that was a piece of I remember of it was outside. Yeah. It was like at a barbecue or a party, That's right? right. That's I, right. I remember. That's so right. obvi- if I remember it, it couldn't have been that bad. It was somehow memorable. Yeah, we, we shot um, three different versions of it. All of the, um, my experience up until this point led us to this endeavor because I, I had failed so many times when I was listening to what other people were telling me to do. Uh, i.e. Paul or agents or whoever, yeah. um, telling me, well, you should do this. Maybe, maybe if you write it this way or, you know, you shouldn't shoot it or you should. But this is and all I, on your watch. Yeah, I just said, fuck it. I'm, I'm not doing, doing my own shit. I'm just doing, I'm, I'm a, I wrote a script that I thought was funny. That was like a short film. And I thought, well, this would be a good opportunity to put the blinders on and just go make something that nobody else could. And touch. how many studios bit? Uh, we had offers from four or five. We had offers from every network except for uh, Fox. And why did you choose FX and Nick Grad, right? Yeah, uh, John, La- John Landgraf, Nick Grad, Eric Schreier, they're all still there. Right. Still, um, because I had so much uh, frustration and failure uh, up until that point, we had nothing to lose. So I knew that I didn't want to have somebody else come in above us, a producer, a director, or something like that, who would take the show over. So uh, we came in, we we pitched it around, and then when we had offers, we said, "Great, now we have some other, we have some demands." Right. Which again, we want control. The, we wanted control. And now again, some, that's just yeah. the ignorance of uh, the 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 ignorance of youth, but also arrogance of youth, I should say, but also 
uh, we didn't have families. You know, we were young and single and we could take those kinds of risks. So we just said, we're not going to work with anybody uh, unless I'm the showrunner. These guys are executive producers. This is the cast. We're going to write all of them. And if you like it, then then this is what it is. I'm going to direct. I directed the pilot. That's it. And, and you probably got offers for more money, but not as much control. Or was FX well, the best? Well, once we gave the sort of list of demands, those offers went away very quickly. Right. Which is understandable. Yeah. But, um, but FX, John Langrav said, okay. If it was any different, if you didn't have control, would it have been as successful? I don't know. It would have been different. It would have been 14 different. years, it wouldn't have been your own vision. It would have been arguing and fighting and trying to get your vision across yeah. and trying and to... And by the way, there was still... there. It still continues to this day to be a tremendous amount of arguing and fighting over really? what it is. Yeah. I don't think people realize... And by the way, when I started watching it, and I was actually in the first season, yep. I did Gun Control, mm-hmm. and people still come up to me for that one episode that I did years and years and years ago. It's my favorite show on TV. And it was like... I had no idea. I remember, again, watching this, thinking... This is all right, but no one's going to buy this, like I told you. And it becomes like the biggest show on TV. I think the reason it's successful is because it's, it's not a big, broad – it's not the biggest show on television, but it is a lot of people's favorite show on yeah, television. Yeah, for sure. Which was always my goal. I'm never going to be able to make everybody happy, but I like the idea of the people who love it, love it. And they're savage about how much they love it. It's just unbelievable. And, and I don't think a lot of people understand. I got a real – understanding of how hard you worked when I did the show in the first season. I, when I walked on set, and I got to remember the juxtaposition of going from like Smallville or a big movie to this set, downtown LA in the middle of fucking nowhere. Yeah. Herald, Herald hole, Examiner. And every, yeah. no one's got a trailer. Yeah. Uh, you guys are working on top of each other. There's no money. These episodes cost no money and yeah. it's just heart and soul and sweat. And I really was like, fuck, this is awesome. I, I couldn't believe how hard you were working for the turnover and how you had to write scripts and you're acting and you're directing and you're doing this and you're trying to appease all these people at FX and trying to and also make a show that's worth watching, which yeah. obviously became way more than that. But that how hard, how much easier has it honestly become with the success? Has it become harder in a way? Or has it become easier with the more money? And because honestly, if the show has lasted one season, you're not making any money. Right. If the show lasted two seasons, you're not making any money. If the show lasted, you needed at least six seasons, right? I mean, to, for us to actually make like enough money to buy a house, it, right. we, we did not get paid very much. I mean, that was the thing. It was, it, it, they, they gave us a tremendous amount of ownership, which is a really smart way for FX to, to, uh, to do their business. They, because they give the talent ownership in the show, and they don't pay them massive fees. So you don't get a lot of money, but in great success, you own the show. Um, that, that is an incredible incentive if I needed to be incentivized, which I didn't, but it's still, it's an incredible incentive to know that your partners on this in a very real way. It's not just like your standard employer employee relationship. Was there any moments where you're like, fuck you guys, you got to give us more money than this all the time. You're paying me $10,000 an episode. Yeah. What the fuck? You know? Yeah. All the time. I mean, I, I think that the success is directly related to the amount of conflict that we, um, continue to encourage. So we can now recognize the difference between fighting uh, a creative battle and an ego battle. And that was the trick in the beginning, was figuring that out. Because we still fight a lot. So in terms of it getting easier, 
the creative process in some ways is harder insofar as we've done so many episodes that we don't want to retread the same material. But it's gotten easier insofar as the fights are more efficient. We still have more. We still have the same amount of fights. Are there fuck fights more, like fuck you? Never. Are there ever like you guys are f- fucking crazy if you think that's going to happen? Yes. And that's ego. No, 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 no. <laughs> we get heated and we argue our case. But you love each other, of course. There's nobody over there. You're like, oh, fuck. I'm sure. There's I don't some. think it could work that way. I mean, the, I spend so much time with those people that I don't know that you you could hate them i mean i i i love them yeah on a scale from one to ten how much do you love doing the show honestly i would do it forever you do it forever i well that's not true i would do it as long as our ratings last year were the highest that they've ever been in, in season 12 and our reviews were the best that they've ever been and we feel great about it and fans still obviously feel I great it. about it yeah. so from my perspective I got in this business to do the very thing that I'm doing. I've been lucky enough, fortunate enough to go off and be able to do a couple other things. And I'm working on a couple movies right now. And, you know, it's incredibly challenging and frustrating. It's so slow moving. And for a good reason. There's just tremendous amounts of money that are behind some of these massive franchise movies. But, you know, everybody that I talk to to a person in that business says that they wish that they could be doing what we do. Now, I don't mean specific to Sonny. I just mean specific to waking up every day, going into a room, having a creative idea, fleshing it out, knowing that there's a very specific path to production, which you can write, shoot, direct, produce, edit, and it is put out into the universe. And you know that it's going to be put out into the universe. And that's not something that we take for granted. How many episodes have you done? I don't know. 70? No, no. More than that. 170, probably. 170? I thought you'd do like 80 a year or 10 a year. We now do 10 a year. There were we, The most we've done is 15 a year. For a long time, we did 13 a year. Got 134. Are there any episodes where you're like, I fucking hated that? Yeah. Any episodes where you said, I wrote that and I hate it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, there's never really just one person that writes an episode, obviously. Everybody have, sort of works together. Yeah, we all, we all work together. There, there are certain episodes that I hated uh, doing that turned out to be great episodes. Which, which episodes? There's an episode that um, is, is actually a, f- a fan favorite. Uh, it's called Charty McDennis, and it's an episode where we, where we um, play a board game that we've created. And it's, it was really fun and funny, and I wrote the episode. Yet, as you're writing it, you think, oh, this is really funny, but you're not recognizing that it calls for all of us to be in one room for three days yelling at each other, like literally screaming at each other. That was probably not pleasant. And it was just not pleasant. And it turned out to be really funny, but it was not a pleasant experience to shoot. Yeah. And then there are other episodes. claustrophobic. Yeah. Yeah. You just never know what's going to resonate with with people, you know? And there are certain things that... I remember um, one year we did this musical episode and in it, my character uh, talks about doing karate, Right, like I'm a martial artist or something. And so I do these like weird karate moves. And then I didn't never thought anything of it. We thought the episode was kind of funny. There was such a big response to it that we thought, oh, it would be cool to do uh, like a live showing of it. I went, Troubadour. Yes, okay, so you went to the Troubadour. I do, see you. And then we did it, uh, we did it at the Beacon Theater. It was amazing. I couldn't believe you could all sing. Well, we can't really, but. But you could. 
Well, so I, the first time I did that at the Troubadour, and I walked across the stage, and I did these like karate moves because that's what it was. And the, I remember, hilarious. The, the audience like erupts, right? Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, that's strange. Like, I wonder why that specifically. And then we did the Beacon Theater, and we did the Electric Factory, same thing. Tower Theater in Philadelphia. Same thing. Everywhere we went, the audience loved it when I did these like goofy karate moves. And for whatever reason, and we didn't know it, but it hit. It hit for some reason. So then, of course, we beat that into the ground, and sure. then I wrote it into like the next three seasons. But I have no idea why, and I, I still to this day don't understand why that resonated with people. <laughs> really? But it, but it did, and, uh, and we didn't see it coming. It was just something that we thought, I don't know, maybe that'll be funny. Season two is when uh, the romance with you and Caitlin started. Yes. Uh, we, we talked about this right before, but I said stop. We're not talking about this right now. Mm-hmm. You came to my house for a party I had, a barbecue. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, Caitlin's cute. Yeah. Did you know that? Did I say that to you? Yeah, probably. I'm sure we talked about it. I was like, because, you know. We had no, we had, at that point, we had no. Not, nothing. Yes, you nothing. guys were not doing anything. You were working together. And I, I thought it was the last thing on earth you were thinking of. And I, wasn't Dax here? Dax, Dax was here. Dax was here. So I met Dax through Caitlin, and Caitlin and Dax used to date like many years ago. So I thought maybe there was something between Caitlin and Dax, maybe rekindling or something like that. And I was like, great, who gives a shit? Uh, but it turns out but, that was not the case. And that night. Later that night. That night. Later that night, we did that. not make out. We didn't, but I could tell. Your eyes fucked. She, put, she made a pass at me. It was more about the language she was using. Yeah, I bet you'd like me to fuck you. Something along those lines. And, really? and nailed it. And I uh, didn't see it coming at all. And what did you think when you left her that That night? is a bad, bad idea. A bad idea. When did it become a good idea? Uh, How long after? Yeah, a, l- a little while. I mean, not that long after. Not that long after. Did you start looking at her on set, like, differently? Like, uh, Sure. Yeah. She's the best. I mean, she's the greatest. She's so cute. She's the funniest woman on television. You, you said that. I was going to quote it. You, said, you think she's the funniest woman, and she is. She is absolutely hilarious. But not only that, but just a genuinely good person yeah like just easy to be around i just remember that i went to ferguson jay ferguson our mutual friend mm-hmm. his barbecue and you were there with the kids and how long have you well, been? we have to talk about that actually because we haven't really discussed that so i don't know if your listeners know this but you were a part of one of the oh, <clears throat> most infamous crews in the history of hollywood i was you were a part of that leo dicaprio Toby Maguire. I was now. You were like a a tangential part of it. Tangential, good word. But you were a part of it. I was. I Jay and I were friends. We did a pilot together, and then he's like, "Hey, care if my friend Leo comes over the house? We're gonna." So they came over to my house in Hillslip, where you were. We would play Bond on the Nintendo, and I was like, "Wow, Leonardo, Leonardo DiCaprio's hanging out." And then Leo would be like, "Hey, come to my beach party," and it'd be just like ten of us hanging out, and I was wearing his Titanic robe, naked, walking around, and there was girls and stuff, and Leo was always, honestly, the fucking nicest guy. He was just cool. He was just a dude. He just wanted to hang out. He had a huge Star Wars collection. He was. I just loved him. So in, I guess by like just affiliation with Ferguson, who was on the show, he was like, Fergie liked me. And Fergie's like, dude, you're cool. And Fergie would come over, and he was happened to be best friends with Leo. So I started hanging out with Leo and all these guys, and that's sort of how that happened. Well, and that when I first came out and I met up with you guys and saw that was the crew. Wasn't Leo at my house? With. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I never yeah. really talk about that. I, I don't think I've ever brought that up, ever, ever. Yeah. I have, yeah, I have a videotape. That, and that was at, at the height. 
That was right Titanic, after Titanic. Right after yeah, Titanic. Right after Titanic. Yeah. And I was like, Jesus Christ, what is Rosenbaum doing? I know. Here? I, I, you know and what? You had that awesome place. I don't know. I guess I could have like hung out more and done the things and become part of that crew. I just they were always so cool. Well, now that crew is all married, except for Leo. They're, they're all, all they're all married. Yeah, yeah. Kids. And Toby was always great. And we, when we see each other, we always are like give hugs. And Leo, Leo saw me like a, a year ago somewhere, and he bumped to me. He goes, Rosie, he's like, dude, you look great. And I'm like, yeah. Well, you should slow down with your workload, bro. Yeah, <laughs> you're working too much, Leo. But uh, he's doing yeah, one was... movie a year, and the rest of the time he is doing he's living the life he's he's lived for twenty or thirty yeah, years. But those movies, what are... a life! Yeah, what a life, huh? What a life that guy. Leonardo DiCaprio, boy, has he done it, huh? We'll be in his shoes for an hour, twenty seconds. He's he's got something good going. Do you and um, your wife, how long, Caitlin? You been Caitlin. married uh, since two thousand eight. So nine years. So that's nine do you, years. Do you that's still uh, do you still ever do anything kinky like on set, like have like an old school fuck in a, in a trailer? Yeah, we were actually just talking about that this year because <laughs> we we used to retire to the trailer, you know, not often, but because because I'm also producing the show and I right. need to you know create at least the illusion of uh, professionalism. We we would still retire to the trailer every once in a while, and we haven't we haven't done that in a little while. Are you still? Do you still look at her sometimes? And go, oh, I love that woman. Yes, you're absolutely head over heels in love. Yeah, like two two or three nights ago, I was laying in bed and I looked across, uh, looked across the room, and I could see her, and she was like in like, just getting ready for bed, and I had that exact thought. She's like, I love you, fucking love you. Well, I was like so attracted to her, and I thought, wow, like, and and that was also, and obviously, you know, you're together with anybody for. We've been together for 11, 10, 10 and a half, yeah. or 11 years. You know, those things kind of fade and come sure. back. and Lose your erection, get, get it back. Sure. It happens. Yeah. yeah. Take the little pill and then you're good. Uh, it, it, for anybody to say, oh, yeah, I stay hard every time with the same woman or, the, or, or she's loving it the same way that you, you know, that's just Have not, you ever taken one of those? I uh, certainly see, have, sir. My dear certainly Lord, have. I've taken a Cialis one time. Did and you have I back thought pain? I was going to, exp- isn't it Cialis? Uh, it could be. I took like a 10 milligram Cialis once and, uh, my, my dick fucking, uh, I used it as a hammer to nail some. Yes. <laughs> it's a, yeah, it's, it's, a, just... it's a horrible feeling. I felt like everything was engorged. My fingers, my head, your face is tingling. My, my face felt your like face a sausage. Tingles. Axel Lee, McElhaney, Leo Gray. Yeah. We were just talking about Leonardo DiCaprio. What was not named after Leo? No. No. And Axel wasn't named after Guns N' Roses. No. Where, where, where was his name? Axel Foley. That's it. No, not really. Not really. My wife's Swedish, and it's actually a fairly common name in Sweden. Axel, come over here. Bronson Pinchot. Yeah. Right? That was Bronson Pinchot from Beverly Hills Cop. You really? You didn't know what you were doing. I didn't. Aquel. Oh, yeah, the guy in the store. Yeah, that's his name. I don't remember from, his name. from Perfect okay. Hey, Yeah, I remember that. And Leo, just cool names. Thank you. Boys' names are kind of tough. They are. I'm thinking Charlie for me. Charlie's great. One of my best friends named Charlie. Yeah, I know him. You were, you've been on Lost. I was on Lost. Was you one of my favorite shows? People dog it for the last uh, episode, the finale. I loved it. I loved seeing you, and then I was like, "Dude, I've had a lot of because um, because the, the Lost creator was a big fan of Sonny. Yes, Damon. Yeah, and um, and uh, the two writers, Eddie and Adam. I, I had uh, I've 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 been really lucky. I mean, one of the greatest things about having a successful television show is your access and opportunity to really cool things. Um, even outside of the entertainment industry, you know, you find that people have been watching the show for a decade and they yeah. started off young and now they're old 
and they used to be the, somebody's assistant. Now they're running companies or running agencies or, you know, uh, in the scientific community or in, up in Silicon Valley or investment bankers or something like that. And you wind up meeting really fascinating, interesting people. Do you ever take some time to just say, I'm proud of all your accomplishments? Do you ever think, hey, you know, I was this kid, parents split up. Thankfully, they were good people. I went to this cool school. I have good family. Somehow, through all these failures, you look at your life and you say, hey, man, I'm happy. I make sure that when, you know, something like that, if someone makes me aware of that, that I take stock in that. I don't take any of this for granted. No. I don't take any of it for granted. And mostly it's because I had so much failure um, leading up to it. And again, when I talk about those four years of my high school, um, one of the things that they were adamant about teaching was failure, dealing with adversity, recognizing that you will fail more often than you will succeed. And what do you do with that once it happens? And then I had a good 10-year period where that did happen. And now I've had a 10-year period where it hasn't happened, at least with regards to the show. But nothing's guaranteed. Uh, this is going to end at some point. And then what happens after that? You know, I think a lot of people get caught in this trap that they think, well, I did that thing, so this other thing is going to be successful. But you look around, and there's very, very few people who've had, incredibly talented people, who've had one, you know, one hit, one hit wonders. I, I personally, for a long time, was like, ah, you know, I'm Lex Luthor, and I, you know, I was that, you know, I, and I know I could do so many other things, and I know I love comedy, and I know I'm going to do all these things, but I also... I was just talking to Tom Welling, our mutual friend, who was my, you know, my cohort. Um, I said, if this was it, I still was Lex Luthor for seven years. I, I could deal with that. I would just do my own shit, and you know, if hopefully, if I didn't need to make a lot of money, if I had to get a job, if I had to do, I think as I get older, I just am like, hey, happiness is about not what other people think or your accolades or your accomplishments. It's it's really how you feel inside, and it's like what you're doing and the person you are. So. I love work, but I also I am envious. I think it's pretty amazing that you got to do a show that you've created that you every day you write and you are a part of and you enjoy going to work. No yeah. matter how hard it is and the adversity, it's it's your thing. You can walk away whenever you want, really. Yeah. There's there's something awesome about that. Yeah, I mean, I, mean I I'm I I take stock in that as often as I can that I I'm, I'm I'm incredibly grateful for for, for for where we are. What's next, by the way? I'm working on lots of stuff. Lots of stuff. Mine? Uh, Minecraft. Minecraft. Yeah, I have, uh, so I'm directing Minecraft, a uh, big, big studio movie. I have this Dude, other that, movie. That's huge. Yeah. What's the budget on that? Can you allow to say? A lot. Is it 100 million? It's probably going to be north of that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, Is it intimidating? Wild. Or do you don't, you know, you're not? Yeah, but of, of course, to a certain extent, but it's just like, if, if, if I were to step into it tomorrow, you know, I, I, look, just like anything else, it's just prep. Prep. Just prep. Just Getting be good ready. people around you. It's fascinating when you talk to so many executives, producers, actors, directors, um, how often people are not prepared when they step onto the set of a $130, 50000000 million movie. It's crazy. Yeah. And I, I think people just get complacent. I think, I think it's the kind of thing that to me is a wild step right? To go and do something like that. But I think once you've done maybe two or three or four of them, maybe it just becomes rote to you. And I, I don't know. And, and, and it's just not that big of a deal. And so you just don't take it as seriously, or you're so incredibly talented that 
you, you don't you need know, it. That you don't need it. And I'm not that person. I, I, I will be the I will be the most prepared person. That's sound advice, and I think that's you know uh, James Gunn, good friend of mine. He directed Guardians of the Galaxy one, two. He's doing three, and he says, I like every moment is just boarded and thought out and of course he writes it and it's just you have to be that animal you have to go at it every day and you have to surround yourself with people who know what the fuck they're doing because it's overwhelming if you think the visual effects in this no stop you don't know anything about visual effects you'll learn what you can and you have guys who really know what they're doing do their job yeah and then it becomes less overwhelming if you just surround yourself yeah well look that's that's been something that has been um that that has that has been something that I've, I've been doing my entire career, which is surrounding myself with people who are way more talented than me. Yep. Uh, and then trusting them to do their job. A few more questions. Sure. It's just so interesting. Do you ever I get... See, I'm boring. I feel like this boring as shit. I don't at all. Okay. Rob, good. is this boring? No. It's not. It's really not. It's so it's educational, and it's like it, it's to me. It's really interesting. If it wasn't, I would have just been like, "Oh fuck." Okay, we're done. Thirty minutes. This will be great. We'll do fit two fifteen minute sessions. Okay, good. No, I hope I'm not boring you. You work with someone so long, like Glenn and Charlie and Kit. Was there where are the big fights on set with you guys? Did you ever really have any of that, or was it sure, sure? Give me one in particular. I just I, got, I like a little dirt. Yeah, I'll give you. But it's example. real. Good. Yes, feed it. So uh, there was this one scene a few years ago where it was like a dream sequence where we're getting shot and we're wearing all these squibs. And But prior to us wearing the squibs, there was this day player guy that was wearing the squibs. And we watched this guy just get lit up, like lit up with these squibs and he gets blown, blown away and, and falls down. And then we say, okay, now it's our turn and we're putting on the squibs. And, and Glenn says, uh, I'm not doing that. It's too many squibs. I'm not, I'm not doing it. And uh, it's just too dangerous. I want to see a test. And we're like, we just saw, we just saw a test. And he was like, well, yeah, but, but that wasn't good enough for me. I want to see an, another test. And I want to see it live without any of the clothing. And, and so Charlie and I got pissed off because we're saying, Glenn, you're a producer on the show. You just let an actor just get lit up by these fucking squibs. And now all of a sudden you want to see another test because it's you. That did not sit well with him. Fair enough because we were accusing him of something that actually wasn't the truth. And on set, he fucking lost it. And that's very rare for any of us. And then I made the mistake of saying, Glenn, calm down. Now, first of all, you should never, ever tell anybody to calm down because... Why not? It's just something where it's a reaction. It's a reaction, but it's never going to calm somebody down. But if you said, Rosamond, fuck off, this interview sucks, I go, dude, calm down. Right. But but how is that going to... That's just a reaction, but it's not going to... It's not going to calm... Okay, so what happened? When you say blow up... He said, don't fucking tell me to calm down. Again, like, we're never going to get physical with with each other, but... Was it close? us... Not really, but it was it was three guys yelling at each other in the middle of their set. That never, ever happened. Was there another producer on set? Not happened since. We're we're no because it's just three of you. There was the director, but the director walked away. So no one was there breaking it up, and Caitlin's not there. Caitlin was there. She walked away. Everybody walked away. They didn't want to deal with it. It was so awkward. Were you were you yelling? Well, finally, we I yeah. But we caught it after about 15 seconds, and then we all said, let's go outside. 
Uh, meaning, like, let's. Was take your this heart racing? Step. Sure, you're in a you're in a an argument, and all of us were right, and all of us were wrong. So there was, you know, it was just our. We were at like a ten, and uh, who was the by hottest? the time Glenn was Glenn, Glenn the was the hottest. And probably rightfully so, because Charlie and I were kind of ganging up. We also know how to egg each We know each other so you know, well, too, yeah. that we know how to egg each other right. and needle each other. But by the time we walked outside, it was diff- rational diffused. heads prevailed. And uh, we worked it out quickly, got back on set, and finished shooting. That's it, though. That's it. But in those and 15 then, seconds. Those 15 seconds were, cru- were crucial. They were loud. Oh, oh, the, oh those 15 seconds. Those, us, the yelling wasn't like... Hey, no, this, it was more like, don't fucking tell me. Like that? Something along. Something in there. Something amplified by the fact that, um, you know, there were 50 people all around watching it happen. So it's yeah, a little embarrassing. And they're looking to us. I mean, this is a responsibility that, um, that I take very seriously. Everybody's looking to us uh, or looking to me, you know, as the showrunner to set the tone of what the show is. But um, what season is this? Season twelve. Season so this, no, this happened in season ten, nine, or season, 10. This shit happens. Sure, you know, and that's why at the end, you know, do you laugh at, at it now? It, do you ever make yes. fun of that moment? You go, "Hey, Glenn, remember when you flipped out? Whoa, don't go AWOL on me." We actually use it as an example of because after that, after we sh- finished shooting for the day, everybody went home, and the three of us sat in the dressing room, my dressing room, and talked it out even more. To Good. make sure that that didn't happen again. And you don't want it to linger like a cranberry sauce. That's right. You want it to... And so, also we realized that there were other things we were fighting about that we have to... They build up. That's what happens. That's right. I have it's a so, band and I lost my shit on them one time. And it was like, it, it, people were like, I remember them all looking at me like, dude, you're a crazy person. And I go, I emailed them later and I said, I apologize, but I apologize for screaming at you, but I don't apologize for what I said because I was right. And I said, but I just got carried away. It was all these things that bottled up, and I lost my fucking, like, I couldn't even talk anymore. I was screaming at them. Yeah. Yeah, which is, un- look, look. ultimately, that- It's not pretty. It, it, it's, it's unfair to them, too, because if you're letting that build up, then they're, how, how can yeah. they be responsible for I, it? I, I agree. So those are conversations that we have, which are like, look, we know it's difficult to confront somebody because of a particular issue that you're having, but if you don't, then you that winds up building up and it comes out in other ways, know, and that affects the work. Sure. And then all of a sudden, the problem with an making a comedy that. is that if you're not having fun, that's going to show. So one of the one of the best compliments that we get all the time about Sunny is that oh, it looks like you guys are having so much fun. Yeah. And the truth is, we are having so much fun. But if you create an environment in which that becomes difficult, that reads. I think sometimes that what happened there probably makes you made you a little tighter. Without Gosh. a doubt. Sometimes you need a little explosion to just be like, all right, I, we love each other. And now it gets better. It's like Without after all those years, man. Well, it's something Glenn always says to me too, because he grew up in the South where it was a little bit more passive aggressive. And where I grew up, it was much more aggressive. So, you know, I think what he appreciates is a more, uh, ag- I don't want to say aggressive, but more confrontational relationship because you just get it out. And that's what we do. You wrote a tweet February 21st. I think it's pretty indicative of... Uh... Well, tonight is my weekly reminder that I am the luckiest man on earth. Share with me the joy that is Caitlin Olson. Hashtag <laughs> the Mick. She deserves it. September 14th, 2016. Just overheard a gal say, oh my God, Brad Pitt used to be hot. And now I want to kill myself. That was true. I, I heard that. And it's then shame, even right? odder, even, even more strange, I took a lot of shit from people for using the word gal. And I wasn't even aware. This, this made me feel even older than hearing Brad Pitt. I wasn't even aware 
that that was an inappropriate word to you. Fuck right and off. I, I wasn't even going to fight about it. Maybe I am like a dinosaur. Am I a misogynist dinosaur? You, I don't know. Maybe. How old are you? 40. I'm 45. Wow, you're old. Aren't you glad that I didn't bring up that you gained weight for a particular season? Why? Because probably everybody asks you that. Yeah, people ask about it. Aren't you glad that I just didn't? Well, you just did. Well, it's the end of the interview. <laughs> you want me to talk about it? No. I just, I just, I, I just, I know you gained a lot of weight for it. And I'm just glad I that I, I just wanted to be unique. I didn't want to bring it up. So I didn't really, because it's the end of the interview. I'm not asking you about it. Right. And if you start talking about it, I can't stop you. You want to breeze past it? I just I, feel, I, I gained 60 pounds. It's unhealthy. You ate everything. Yeah. When I say everything, did, how many times a week did you have McDonald's? I ate fast food quite a bit. Were quite you, a bit. Were yeah. you uh, repugnant to the eye? Naked? Yeah. Although I think Caitlin, Caitlin has ha, told me that she, she, she didn't mind it. You know why? Because now she was fucking somebody else. I think that had something to But it was to still you. It. it was fat you, which yeah. was a fat guy. She was fucking sexy thin Rob, and now she was fucking fat repugnant. But I had like Rob. a, I had a big butt, and I think she liked that. Really, she cried. Not it. like fat. It was just like a, like I don't have a butt. Did you feel life. like a way, like you can get dirtier with her because you were fat and gross? I will say that it did feel like I was <laughs> a different. I was like a different person. Really, I loved it. Did your doctor say you have to stop this? So, so my cholesterol was fine, my blood sugar was fine, my liver took a bit of a hit, but then once I um. Once I got back down to fighting weight, I was all right. That was it? Yeah. It was cool, though. It was just an interesting challenge. I really enjoyed being inside of you today, Rob. It felt natural? I, I would say. I feel like you eased in. I, and then I, once you were inside, that's when you went to town. I just wiggled around. Yeah. I just kind of got lost in there for a minute. Well, thank you. This has been a real treat. It has. Thank you very much. Will you come back? I don't know. Maybe I'll come back in another 10 years. Not 10 years. What was the last time I was here? I think it was 10 years ago. Well, you, honestly, you've worked your ass off, and you've, you've, you faced failure, you faced adversity, you didn't quit. Thank you. Thanks, man. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was a three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.